Well, brothers and sisters, we're turning to James chapter 4. We'll be looking specifically at verses 11 through 12. And we remember from all that time ago, before I went on vacation, that that we were studying this whole chapter, uh, this idea of pride, pride in the church. Uh, and, And James is saying, well, a lot of your problems come from pride. And pride leads us to be friends with the world and not friends with God. Uh, And pride is opposed by God. And so in our our lives, we're to be uh, humble, we're to be serving and submissive to God. So we get to this section, verses 11 and 12. And James says, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, James says, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Convicting words. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that we would search our hearts as we delve into this passage today. We pray that we would spot our sin, that we would repent of our sin, and that we would turn in confession to your Son, Jesus Christ, who forgives our sins. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So around here, spider webs are, are kind of gross things. You see a lot of spider webs that are these black widow spiders, and they, they spin these disgusting webs. Like, they're like gross. But in the Midwest, there's really beautiful spider webs. I'm sure there's spider webs out here that are beautiful too. But but you look at these spider webs and it's it starts in the middle and it's a nice logical spiral. And yet that spiral is laid on top or woven into these strands that go out and anchor themselves, right? We're familiar with what spider webs are. They're beautiful things. The spiders, forget about them. They're icky. Ruth would just vacuum up the spiders, and I would agree with her wholeheartedly. But the spider webs, man, those are pretty. James's passage here, these two verses, are like a spider web. Not icky, beautiful. <laughs> and it's, he starts out in the very center with a very straightforward statement, a command, in fact. He says, don't speak evil. Don't speak evil of one another. And then as we look at the rest of the spiral, it continues out in a very beautiful and logical way. He talks about keeping the law and, and, and judging others and, and how that makes us uh, a judge of the law. And it, it spirals out, not out of control, it spirals out beautifully. And all of this is superimposed onto these anchoring strands that connect to the very nature of God. And so as we look at this web today, we are going to see command, we're going to see reasoning, and we are going to see, of course, uh, a, a glimpse of who God is as judge and as Savior. But the theme that we're going to uh, explore as we go through this passage is that divine justice demands that we judge humbly. That's the real purpose of this spider web that James weaves. He wants us to know that divine justice demands that we judge humbly. And this all fits into the pride and the context. He's saying, look, you cannot be proud when you're judging. In fact, be very careful when you do judge. 
Because judgment leads to sin so easily. Now we're going to explore this in a pretty logical way. We're going to follow this spider web. We're going to start with the center and talk about slanderers. We're going to zoom out a little bit, take a step back, and we're going to see the beautiful spiral. We're going to talk, our second point is about hypocritical judges. And then we're going to take one big step back and we're going to see the anchor points. We're going to see these strands that go out and root themselves in God's character. And we're going to talk in the third point about the divine lawgiver. But those are our three points. Slanderers, hypocritical judges, and the divine lawgiver. So let's start with slanderers. Well, surprise, surprise, James starts bluntly in this, uh, this set of verses. He, he goes right back to bluntness. He doesn't mince words. Uh, he, he's a fearless writer. He leads off with this striking warning to the church. He says, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. Do not speak evil of one another. Now this is pretty simple here. There's no mystery. We all understand what James is talking about when he says don't speak evilly of one another. Or do we? Brothers and sisters, in order to see the beauty and the complexity of the rest of this verse, we need to understand who James is talking to. We need to see exactly what he's forbidding. And we need to see how this strikes home to our hearts. So first, James is speaking to his brothers. His brothers in Jesus Christ. Now, as I've said many times, the church is not a male-only church. We're equal opportunities here. So James is not just calling out the men of his congregation. Sorry, ladies, he's calling out the ladies as well. When he says brothers, he's talking about family members. He's talking about believers, those who have been given the inheritance of eternal life, those who have been adopted by God. James is speaking to all who have been washed by Jesus' blood and who have been made members of God's family. In other words, James addresses the church of Jesus Christ with painful, strong words. He says, don't speak evilly of one another. Now, if you remember these past sermons that have uh, come before this in this series, we remember that James is primarily interested in this book as a whole with hypocrisy in the church. There's quite a few people who are loudly proclaiming a religion that they don't practice. And so James speaks to the hypocrites in the church and he says, look, you have to actually act on your profession. And one of the things that he's gone after has been our speech patterns. He spoke to his context and to us as well in James 3 when he said, The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. So we carry a very destructive and dangerous tool in our mouths. And James says, You can loudly go into church and profess your belief in Jesus And go home and use that tongue as a fire. And everybody can see the hypocrisy. So it's no surprise that he comes back to this idea of speech patterns and pride and hypocrisy. And he speaks bluntly to professing believers. He says, your tongue is destructive. Want an example? Well, look at how you speak evil of one another. There's no place for speaking evil of one another in the family of God. But we really need to uh, briefly address what is meant by speaking evil, because that's a kind of generic term, isn't it? This word in the Greek can be translated in a number of different ways. It can be translated as speak ill of, or speak degradingly of, or speak evil of, as most uh, 
most translations use. Uh, Also, defame or slander. Notice there's no clear indication of whether James is speaking of gossip or slander in in this context. There's, uh, There's a distinction between gossip and slander. One commentator says this, to gossip is to to make a true story or take a true story where it should not go. (coughs) To slander is to create and spread false stories. Both gossip and slander are sins and cause real harm. So, James, when he calls out evil speech, he's talking about kind of both of these things. He's saying, Do not gossip, do not slander, don't use the truth in destructive and harmful ways, and don't spread lies that are harmful and destructive about your brothers and sisters. You're not to spread even truth in harmful ways. We're not to seek the harm or the embarrassment or the hurt of others, especially when they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, you might be reading this passage, you might say, well, I don't have a problem with that. James is talking to those awful sinners who have problems with slander. I don't do that. I don't slander. I don't gossip. I don't seek the harm of others. And in fact, most of these people, I don't even bother speaking to them. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, James doesn't address the sin because it's relatively uncommon and therefore it's easy to just check off as well. You know, I've avoided that sin. No, James points this out because our pride and our lack of self-control, it leads us into slander and gossip and mockery far more than we realize. Think of the ways in which we judge others spiritually. You know, perhaps we hear a comment in Sunday school or or we hear a prayer request or we're at a Bible study and and someone says something and we we sit there and we're like, that was pretty undeveloped. I would have said it way better in these words. We judge our brothers and our sisters. We think how foolish they are. Maybe we do this with humor as a motivation. We find ourselves on the lookout for error so that we can seize on to that error and, and we can crow about how foolish our brothers and our sisters are. I, I think one thing that is quite common is the systemic slander that we enter into as a church. I, I haven't noticed this as much here uh, in Concho, but, but growing up in the church, there was a... There was a, a, a a use for the letters OPC, we would say, oh, we're the only perfect church. And then we'd laugh and say, <laughs> but we actually believed it sometimes. Brothers and sisters, it's so easy to think that we, because we've got good theology, because we've got re- robust biblical teaching, we're somehow better than other people who believe and trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation. We need to be on the watch, on the lookout for this sin in our lives. So that's the center of this spider web. Do not speak evil of one another. Don't speak evil of your brother and your sister. Do not slander or gossip or down uh, denigrate them. Do not speak harmfully of them, even in the content, if the content of your speech is factually correct. But James doesn't stop there. And here we find ourselves in the second point about hypocritical judges. As we take a step back and we look at at this spiderweb from a little farther away, we notice the development of the argument. James doesn't just say, stop that, and then move on. 
Now, James adds complexity and logic to his command. He says, He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Now, this is far from being the most complex statement by James in this short letter. But it does leave the casual reader with some confusion. Let me ask a couple questions. How is slandering a brother the same as slandering the law of God? How is judging a brother the same as judging the law of God? Maybe the most difficult question is this. Does James mean that we are never to judge anyone? This last question is incredibly important. But the church, or I'm sorry, the answer is much clearer when we understand the link between slandering a brother and slandering the law. So let's look at this link first. Let's look at the link between slandering our brothers and slandering the law. James draws this parallel between judging our brother, judging the law, slandering our brother, slandering the law. It becomes very clear when we realize that speaking evil of brothers and sisters in Christ is not a uh, a simple matter of sinful speech, but in fact it, it goes deeper. There's heart issues. When we slander, we are sinning against our brothers and sisters in our hearts. We're sitting in judgment over them. We're proclaiming them to be guilty. And we're implicitly claiming to be guiltless. Now this is important. I'm going to pick on somebody as a guinea pig, and I'm just going to randomly pick Zuma. <laughs> Sorry, Zuma. <laughs> Let's say I say, just you know, to the church at, at, at large, I say, you know what? The way Zuma eats asparagus is a crime against humanity. <laughs> I'm not just slandering Zuma and her way of eating asparagus. No, I'm saying, by contrast, the way I eat asparagus is amazing. It's the right way to eat asparagus. Now, I've never seen Zuma eat asparagus. I'm sure it's, it's just fine. But, but you get the picture here, right? When we judge somebody else, we're saying, I can be a judge because I've got this nailed down. So, when we slander others, we're not gently offering helpful feedback. And we're setting ourselves up as the example of perfection. You see how we immediately bypass helping our fellow believer and we skip right to being proud judges. But even more problematic is the fact that slander is actually explicitly forbidden by God. Slander is called a sin all over Scripture. And it's expressly forbidden. We look at uh, Leviticus 19. You shall not go about as a talebearer among your people. Nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. Now notice, of course, there is that line about you shall surely rebuke your neighbor. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. But God says here in his law, do not bear tales. Do not take a stand against the life or the reputation of your neighbor. And all this really stems from that one commandment. Exodus 20, verse 16, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Brothers and sisters, God takes slander very seriously. It's fascinating how we will see sin in somebody else's life. 
Or we'll see something that looks like sin. And we'll call it out. We'll tell everybody. Sometimes we'll make it worse than it actually is so that everybody really gets how despicable that person is. And in so doing, we are breaking God's law. That term or that phrase, that, that proverb calling the, the, the pot calling the kettle black, really, we find it here. <laughs> we see this here. Sinners slandering their brothers and sisters are entering into sin themselves. Beyond these two commands, we see slander and gossip condemned in some of the apostolic lists. We look at Ephesians 4, verse 31. We look at 1 Peter 2, verses 1 through 3. These are sins against God. Speaking evil of one another, brothers and sisters, it's expressly prohibited by God. And thus James says, to continue To slander or gossip about your siblings in the faith is to put yourself above the law. When you slander your brother in Christ, you are saying, I judge God's commandment to not apply to me. This goes beyond pride and is clearly hypocrisy. When I was a kid, uh, we had a rule. At mealtime, everybody gathered around and we would pray. We would thank God for the meal. And one of the rules that my parents laid down was everybody had to close their eyes. And my parents weren't saying this is a biblical rule, you have to close your eyes because you know we can find this commandment to close your eyes. No, no, they were saying, look, you're going to be distracted. You're a kid. You need to close your eyes so you don't see other things around you. Every now and then, one of us kids would open our eyes and we'd look around. And we'd spot, yep, there's another kid with their eyes open. Yeah. There's a kid, oh, he's eating his peas during prayer. Well, that's not right. And so we'd close our eyes again, and then we'd wait for the, sermon, uh, for the prayer to be done, and then we'd open our eyes and we'd say, Mom, so-and-so was eating during prayer, and so-and-so had their eyes open during prayer. And my parents always said, how do you know? <laughs> you get the picture though, right? This is what we do when we slander, when we speak evilly of our brothers and sisters. We enter into sin ourselves. And God says, really? You're going to judge your brother and your sister? You're going to put yourself on my level in judgment over your brother and sister? You're guilty of the same thing. Brothers and sisters, this is why when someone comes into Steve's office or my office and, and they start with, do you know what so-and-so did? We always say, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> go and talk to that person first. Go and talk to that person. Now, if they continue to, to go on in unrepentance, we'll come with you. But, but don't tell me about their sin. Go and talk to this person about what they've done. Brothers and sisters, slander and gossip. And every sort of evil speech about a fellow Christian is a sin. Not just against that individual, but primarily against God himself. To spread lies about another person, even to tell the truth in a harmful way, is the same as discarding the law of God and writing your own self-serving law. This is a sin, and God stands against it. But at this point, we might be left with the question, does James mean that we are never to judge one another? Are we supposed to just put our blinders on and ignore everything except for, i got to survive until I get to heaven? Well, no, we're iron. It's supposed to sharpen iron. 
Brothers and sisters, the world will look at this passage. Unbelievers will look at this passage and they'll rip it from its context and they'll use it as a challenge to Christians. And I've actually had this happen to me. People use this verse. They paraphrase this verse. Non-Christians paraphrase this verse and they say, you can't judge me. Only God can judge me. Guess what? There's some truth in this. There actually is some truth in this. I cannot sit in judgment over another human's heart. I cannot stand in eternal judgment of others, condemning others as hopeless. Neither, as James points out here in verse 11, can we sit in judgment of others as if we were better than them, condemning them, demeaning them, and seeking to cause them harm. To do so would be a direct violation of God's law. But all this does not mean that we are not to judge at all. This was the case, then James would be sinning here in this epistle by calling out the sin of slander. We need to shy away from judging in a way that is condemning, that is higher and mightier. But we are not to shy away from judgment and discernment. No, instead we are to judge humbly. This is so key for for when we approach passages like 1 Corinthians 5, verse 12. In that passage, Paul talks about judgment in the church. He says, For what do I have to do with judging those who are outside? He's talking about non-Christians. He says, Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. So we are to be working with our eyes open in the church. Watching over our brother, caring for our brothers and sisters. Not because we're better, but because we also are sinners, saved by grace. James makes it clear that we are not to judge others as if we are better than them. We are not to judge as if our own sense of good and bad trumps God's sense of righteousness and sin. But we are to be discerning. We are to take action when we see our brothers and sisters in sin. To be a humble judge is to recognize sin and properly, biblically, address it. You say, well, okay, what does that look like, Pastor Elijah? What does that look like? You know, how, how do we judge? How are we supposed to judge? How are we supposed to judge humbly? Well, Jesus gives us the steps for this in Matthew 18. Jesus says, when a fellow believer sins against us, we are to go and take the matter to them. We're not to avoid reconciliation attempts because we don't want to be seen as judges. No, we are to go and tell the sinner their sin with the hope that they will be convicted, that they will repent. To go back to the, uh, the eyes wide open during prayer analogy, what's the proper thing to do when you see your sibling with their eyes open or their si- your sibling spooning peas into their mouth during prayer? The proper thing is not to go and say, I am so holy, I had my eyes closed for most of the prayer. The proper thing to do is not to go to the parent and say, look at this sinner, look at that, he opened his eyes. Can you believe? The proper thing to do is to go to your sibling and say, look, I have to confess, I had my eyes open during prayer. <laughs> I'm a sinner. And I noticed you did too. Let's work together to fix this. Let's work together to repent of this, to change this. That's how we become humble judges. 
Even more telling is the procedure spelled out by Paul in Galatians chapter 6. He says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You see, when we spot others in sin, our goal is always the gentle restoration of our brother's heart. To speak evil of them is slander, gossip. To sit in judgment of our brothers and sisters is pride. And it points to our own hypocrisy rather than their sinfulness. Well, up to this point, we've been looking at the, the spider web. In our first point, we looked at that beautiful center. And then we looked in the second, one, the second point at the, the rings or the, the spiral that comes from that center. Now, in this final point, let's take a step back and look at the, the anchor points. Let's talk about the divine lawgiver. James roots this command in the nature of God when he says in verse 12, There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Now this is an amazing statement followed by a convicting question. James is saying there is only one God, and who are you to think that you are equal with God? And this hits every one of us, and we all say, oh yeah, we know that we're not God, and yet we think of ourselves as God so often. James says, who do you think you are? Brothers and sisters, let's take a moment to ponder the applications of this reminder. First, there's only one lawgiver. Now, we live in a state with plenty of laws, and sometimes these laws are different from the laws of, say, Utah or New Mexico or Colorado. Sometimes we look at the differences and we say, why do we live under these different laws? Well, it's because there's different lawgivers. And we start to compare and we say, well, you know, the laws here are are better for this or worse for that. And the laws over there are are, are better and worse in different ways. And we start to contrast the the lawgivers and the law that they have given. And in this way, we see that on earth, there is conflict in this. We wonder why should something be legal here and illegal there? Maybe we disagree with the motives that that drive the lawmakers. Maybe we suspect that greed or sin just might be involved in particular laws. But with our divine lawgiver, the ruler of heaven and earth, we have something completely different. Out of the perfect, holy, and completely consistent nature of God flow perfect, holy, and completely consistent laws. The moral law or the Ten Commandments uh, that continues to be binding on us today, it flows out of the perfect nature of God himself. If you will, it's an expression of his character. He didn't randomly come up with rules to make us miserable. But rather, because the perfect God exists in the fullness of holiness, we are bound to his law, and we are measured against his standard. So you wonder, how did God come up with these Ten Commandments? Did he just have like maybe 20 commandments that he threw at a wall and 10 of them stuck and he said, I'm going with those 10? No. Out of God's nature flow these laws. We look at these laws and we say, that's who God is. He is perfect in every one of these ways. But God is not just the source of the law. He is also the one who 
ultimately judges every human being by it. Romans 10, 14 through, I'm sorry, Romans 14, verse 10 uh, through 12 spells this out. Paul says, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. So congregation of the Lord, when we slander and when we harm our brothers and sisters in Christ, when we judge others against our own perceived perfections, we attack the sovereignty of God. We deny his authority. This is why James spins this intricate web here in these verses. Out of love, he calls out a warning to those in his congregation. He he calls out a warning to us today who are walking the dangerous road of rebellion. Every one of us will stand before the judgment seat of the one lawgiver. He is the lawgiver, he is also the judge. And at that day, we will see our sin in its fullness. Our sinful lives, our sinful natures will be contrasted with the perfect holiness of God himself. And the result for every human being should be a resounding guilty. Compared to the holiness of the creator and the judge, we should all be pronounced guilty. Of course, we're not as holy as God is, but on top of this, we also think of ourselves as God. We think that we are wiser than God himself. In our sin, we rebel. In our judgment and our slander, we we try like willful kids to rip God from his throne and to sit there ourselves. Judged by the lawgiver, we should be declared guilty and sentenced to destruction. But this is the reminder of the divine lawgiver. In this reminder of the divine lawgiver and his unbending rule, James points us to the life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ. There's only one lawgiver, but it doesn't stop there. He says there's only one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. What is our only hope as slandering, gossiping, hypocritically judgmental speakers of evil? What's our only hope? Is it that we can stop it somehow? Is it that we can shape up and do enough good to outbalance our slander or our gossip? No. Brothers and sisters, our only hope is the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. God sent his son Jesus Christ to take on human flesh and dwell among us. Not so that he could go back to heaven and say, you'll never guess what I saw on earth. Those sinners can't believe what they were doing. Jesus didn't come to earth to walk alongside us and make snide comments about us as he saw our sin. Jesus came to earth to save us. God sent his son to die on the cross so that we might be forgiven. So that we might not face the death penalty that we deserve for our slander and for our gossip and for our hypocrisy. Jesus bore that penalty. Jesus bore that penalty and we are accepted by the holy judge. This is our hope for eternity because of our Savior's grace. And mercy, we're able to put off the evil speech that comes so naturally to us as sinners. We're able to trade it for kindness and love. 
This is why we are to judge humbly. Because even when we stood condemned, God had mercy on us. He saved us. He washed us when we were unlovable. This is why we put slander far away from our mouths. If anyone deserved to be slandered or talked about or spoken evilly of, it was us. But that's not what God did. God sent His Son to die for us, to be our salvation, to be our righteousness, to be our hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we look at this passage and we recognize that in our pride, we slander others. In our pride, we are on the lookout for ways that we can judge others. And Lord, we've not been tasked to do either of these things by you. Instead, as Christians, we are to be discerning. We're supposed to be caring for our brothers and sisters who fall, who sin. We're supposed to be going to them and walking alongside them and lifting them up and caring for them and pointing them to you. But Lord, you see our hearts and our minds. You see our words and our actions. And you know that that's not what we do so often. Lord, please change us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Because of the life-giving blood of Jesus Christ, please save us. Change us. Grow us, we pray. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.